morning. I just want to apologise in advance. I've had a slightly tricky week, and so if I refer to my notes, I hope you'll accept that. Sorry about that. So anyway, I love a baptism service, don't you? Give me a woo if it's your favourite type of service. Woo! Yeah, brilliant, isn't it? I love it. I love listening to the stories, listening to Ben and to Kai and to Ellie. Each one I found was really great. Where's Kai? Kai, do you know what? God hasn't finished with you, mate. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in you. It's been brilliant watching you come to faith. And, and Ben, I don't know you, but I loved what I really loved about your story was the fact that you said that you found church boring at 15 and that you went away for a bit. I've got two teenage girls who are in that stage right now, and you, you really encouraged me that, that you came back and they could come back. Brilliant. And Elliot, Elliot's story is great because he, he, he can't remember when he wasn't a Christian. He gradually learned about Jesus over his whole life, a really gradual process. And I, Parents of young children, how encouraging is that, that we can raise our kids and they can just slowly but surely just get to know Jesus better? Brilliant. I love that Jesus changes lives. That's what we're covering today, that Jesus changes lives. And every story you'll hear is different. And the story we're going to look at today, it wasn't a gradual journey like Elliot's. It was a guy who overnight becomes a Christian. He's He's in a time of crisis, the guy we're going to look at today. And I've I just been thinking it this week. So many of us face crisis, don't we? Where it's a lo- it might be a thing that's gradual over time. I don't know, an illness or a financial situation or a difficult relationship over time builds into a crisis. Or maybe it comes suddenly, a uh, natural disaster, an accident maybe. That phone call out of the blue. I, I, as you know, I spent a week with a very precious friend who received such a phone call overnight her whole life was transferred and she was into a point of crisis. And we do, we face crisis often. And I, and I sense as well that maybe some people even here today are right in the middle of the crisis. And we don't minimise that, but we also know that we know that God can use even that crisis to change your life and to bring you closer to him. And so we get to our story. Our, uh, we're going to look at our passage. Our passage today is from Acts chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 22. Words are going to be on the screen, but why some of you, some of you might be turning there or looking it up, and I just want to just give us a bit of a context of where we're at in the Bible, if you don't know. So the book of Acts is written by Luke, and it's about the beginning of the church. And in chapter 16, we see that the Apostle Paul, together with Luke and Silas and Timothy, they're heading off on a missionary journey. And they get to a place called Philippi. Philippi is in northern Greece. So it's the first time, actually, that the gospel and Christianity has reached Europe. Bit of trivia, Rob knows this already, I can tell. Who was the first person in Europe to become a Christian? Go on, then. Who was that, sorry? Good answer, Susan. That's an alpha candidate right there. Knew the answer. Brilliant. Lydia. She was the first person in Europe to become a Christian. Now, Lydia was a businesswoman who sold purple cloth. She was wealthy, and she had influence. She's the first person in Europe. The second person in Europe to become a Christian had no money and no influence. She was a slave girl. And actually, her conversion is what gets Paul and Silas into the trouble we're just going to read about. So that's where we're up to in our story. So we get to um, Luke, sorry, Acts 16, verse 22. Let's read it out. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet into stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains became loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he, he and his whole household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. There's lots to cover in this passage, but I want to cover, uh, particularly focus on the jailer. In verses 26 and 27, we see he's in a point of crisis. He's in bed asleep, and suddenly he's woken up by a massive earthquake. In fact, we read it's so big, this earthquake, it's so violent, that the foundations of the prisoner are crumbling, the cell doors are open, and the, the prisoner's chains have uh, come loose. He wakes up, he realises this disaster's happened to him, and we notice he immediately grabs his sword and is prepared to kill himself. That might need some explanation. seems a bit dramatic. But actually, if we think about it, in those times, as a jailer, he was responsible for those prisoners. And if they'd escaped, he was going to have their punishment taken to him. He'd have had to be punished in the way they were. He would have probably faced execution. In fact, a little bit earlier in Acts, in chapter 12, verse 19, we see that, that King Herod did, in fact, execute a number of guards because they'd let... Peter escaped from prison. So this jailer knew he was going to face death anyway, and he'd chosen in that point of anguish that he was going to take his own life rather than be executed later. Now, I'd planned this sermon probably about a month ago, and I hadn't intended to mention this at all, but it just feels right today to not leave that bit. This jailer wanted to kill himself, and I think we need to acknowledge sometimes that in society we have a massive problem with uh, mental health and with suicide. It's really great, isn't it, that Patrick Regan is coming and doing that tour and that, and that well-being and mental health is getting more um, influence in our church and we're thinking about it more, but we really, really need to do better. Um, a few stats I looked up last night. Uh, this week, 115 people will take their own life in England. One, at least 115 people this week. Um, NHS data says that one in 15 people have attempted suicide. One in 15 people have tried to kill themselves. And actually, the numbers go even higher, triple that. One in five um, have thoughts, regular thoughts, of committing suicide. So that means, there's, I reckon there was about 300 people here this morning. That's about 60 people in this room, if it's representative of society, that have think, thoughts about taking their own life. And that, that's huge. That is massive, right? We, we need as a church to just be aware of that and, and be a safer place. We need to be a place where people can be honest about where they're at. We need to be, um, as individuals, being willing to listen to people when they come to us. We need to be checking in on our mates more. 
It's just massive. And I just want to just, just uh, if I can, take a second to anyone in the room who is feeling like that right now, is, if they are having suicides, I just want to just say to you, talk to someone, a friend, a family member, someone here at church, do you know what? come find me, please come find me, okay? Talk to someone, right? I know right now it might feel hopeless, but it won't always feel that way. I know right now you might feel that you, it'll never get better, but it can get better. Um, you might need counselling, you might need medical help, but the first stage is please, 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 just come and talk to someone. Suicide devastates families, and we just need to be better at it. We just need to be an open place, and we just need to be looking out for each other. Okay, so our jailer is experiencing a real crisis. However, God is going to use this crisis to turn his life around, and he's got a question to ask. And the first thing we need to wonder is, is Mum gone? It's gone quiet. Um, first thing we have to wonder is, why he asked Paul and Silas? Now, we don't really know why he asked Paul and Silas, but we know he falls at their feet. And I think that one of the big reasons he asked Paul and Silas is because he's been listening to what they have to say. He's witnessed them, right? First of all, we know it's Paul who says, no, don't take your own life. We're all here. We're okay. Paul saves his life, if you like. But also, think about it. Just a day previously, he'd been there and he'd witnessed these guys being stripped and beaten and flogged. Their, their backs are going to be full of blood. They're bruised. He's then dragged them into an inner, stifling, horrible inner cell, and he's put their feet in stocks. And that's a torture device designed to cause even more pain. So he, he's seen all that happen, and yet they're still praising and singing and praying to God. And that must have had an effect on his life. I, I'll be really honest with you. If that had happened to me... I reckon I'd have been sat in the corner just crying, right? But Paul and Silas didn't. They, 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 just, they just continued their witness in that horrible situation. And in the same way as, as the jailer saw Paul and Silas, people around us, if we're Christians here today, people around us are watching how we react, how we react to difficult situations, how we react day to day. And they might not be chatting to us about it. They might not be asking us questions or talking to us. But I guarantee you, the people you work with and the people you live with are watching how you react. And the way we react can have a profound effect on the people around us if we live God, our lives as God has called us to live them. And actually, that's true here. Paul and Silas's behaviour seems to have had a massive impact on the jailer. So we asked him a question. Now, I'm a teacher. I get asked questions all the time. And some of them are not great. My favourite one was when a kid, year 16-year-old kid, just to give it context, said to me, Miss, when is Christmas this year? And I was like, it'll be the 25th of December. And in, and in particular teenage response, he went, are you sure? I, <laughs> I swear down it was the 16th last year. And I was like, no, no, it's definitely the 25th of December. Silly question, right? And, and I guess some of us may also remember one of my all-time favourite questions was when a certain ex-president asked in a press conference if drinking bleach could help with COVID. Not a great question, okay? But this guy, this jailer, asked a great question. In fact, he asked the best question. He asks the most important question anyone can ever ask. He says this in verse 30. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he's not asking to be saved from physical danger. That, that's past. He knows he's safe. 
This is a spiritual question. He's, he's realising that he needs saving. And actually, it's really true for all of us that the first stage of being saved is that we need to realise that we need saving. And this jailer did. So if the, if the jailer's question is, is a great one, I think Paul's answer is even better. Simple yet profound. Okay, he says this in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's a brilliant invitation, not just to the jailer, but everyone in his household. See, salvation is open to anyone. Acts 2.21 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's my favourite verse in the Bible. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was an invitation to the jailer. It was an invitation to his family. It was even an invitation to the slaves who worked into his house. It was an invitation to everyone. It's an invitation to me. I received it. Kai, Ben, Elliot. It's an invitation that's open to everyone here today. It's an invitation that's open to you this morning. At this point, I sometimes wonder how the conversation went because if you remember, we just said, Christianity is brand new. This is the first week Christianity has ever arrived in Europe. In fact, we know from the Bible that Philippi didn't even have a synagogue. So there wasn't even a Jewish population. So they had, this jailer likely had no religious background whatsoever. So I can imagine him saying, Jesus who? Believe what? What do I have to do? You can just imagine that confusion. I just have this real sense of the Apostle Paul just smiling and just saying, it's not, you don't have to do anything. It's what Jesus has done. Sit down, let me explain. And then, I mean, either said it far more eloquently than me. We don't know what Paul said. But I think he might have said something a little bit like this, looking at the Bible. He'd have said, right at the beginning of the Bible, we learn that God created a perfect world. He created man and he created woman, humankind, and he was pleased with what he'd done. He created a perfect world and he loved us and he wanted to have fellowship, to have relationship with us. However, three chapters later, we see that the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they disobey God. They've broken that relationship with God. But it's not just them. We can't just blame them. Each and every one of us, the Bible says, has sinned. We've fallen short of God's glorious standard. The word sin is quite a religious word, I guess. It means to do something bad, to um, break God's law. It, it can also mean just to miss the mark, just to not get things quite right. And each and every one of us has done that. And then uh, the Apostle Paul later on in one of his... Uh, books says that the, um, the wages of sin, the consequence of doing bad stuff, if you like, is death. But the, the gift of, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the bad news is that each and every one of us deserves death. The appropriate consequence for our, our behavior is death. But the gospel, the good news, is that God so loved the world that anyone who believes, that word believes again, anyone who believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God loves you so much today, loves each one of us so much, that his son became a human. He came down from heaven and he became a human, fully God, fully man, living a perfect life. But then he chose to take our punishments upon him. He chose to die on a cross for our sins. How do we get saved? We believe in Jesus. We acknowledge that our sin has broken a relationship with God. 
We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our place. We choose to accept that free gift of salvation and ask Jesus to change our life. And he does. That's my final point. Jesus changes lives. He changed the life of the jailer. Within a few hours, we see huge changes in the jailer's life. We see a change in his action. The previous day, he's there, isn't he? Putting, the, putting Paul and Silas in stocks, being cruel to them and violent. And here we see, verse 33, that he's taken them into his house, he's welcomed them in his home, and he's washing their wounds. He's, he's caring for them in a way that he wouldn't have dreamt of doing 24 hours previous because he's changed his actions. He's also changed his attitude. In the same way as Ben and Kai and Elliot are just going to do in a minute, he gets baptised to show outwardly that his inward heart has changed. And then he invites them into his home. And then I love this, his attitude's changed. This guy who was prepared to take his own life hours earlier is now, we're told, in verse 34, filled with joy. See, Jesus wants to change your life too. He wants to save you. Remember that verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you're asking, what must I do to be saved? The the simple answer is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Believe in Jesus. That's it. It's easy, isn't it? Nice and simple. As the band come up, I'm just going to ask you, if you're somebody today who for the first time has realised that you need to believe in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. And because I don't want you to do it on your own, I'm going to ask anyone here who wants to reaffirm their belief in Jesus, any Christian here, to stand as well. And we're just going to pray together. So if you you want to just stand, please stand. And if you agree with me, just arm in at the end. So if you can just all just stand if you want to stand, please. Thank you. So if you believe in Jesus or you want to believe in Jesus for the first time, just stand up. pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I just thank you that you love us so much that you created us and you want a relationship with us. And Lord, we just acknowledge and I acknowledge that my sin caused a breakdown in that relationship with you, Lord, that that it was me that broke that relationship. And I just acknowledge that I've done wrong and I'm sorry for that wrong that I've done. Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you lived a perfect life and you were prepared to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you that you rose again and that you now live in heaven. I just choose today, Lord, to trust you in that, to believe in you and to let you change my life, Lord. Let me um, be, you be my Lord and Saviour. And we just thank you, Lord, that you were prepared to do this for your love for me. Amen.